0: Well, I love the Bible Project videos, there's more of those, we'll be seeing one of these each week in this Advent season, and I can't can't wait, but just I hope you honed in on that, hope is waiting for the future. Hope you caught that, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Now, for those of you who are joining us online here in person, thanks for being here, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We say this every year, but Thanksgiving is the one official holiday that God excuses gluttony. He no longer calls it a sin for that particular day. And so I am a guy that has for years now flirted with uh, diabetes, my blood sugar levels, et cetera, uh, get up in there. Um, but you all probably have some kind of food from your mama that you also are basically incapable of resisting. And so my mama eats her cookies. And so it's the worst possible thing I could put in my system, and I only put in like 12 or 14 um, per hour uh, while I was there. It is phenomenal. Brooks banana pudding also would uh, fit up in that category. Um, you, all, you all have a mama that made something that you know is unlike anything else. No one else in the world can make it like she did. And so good being with uh, family, and hope you enjoyed a time. Maybe you have some folks that are here. Maybe they left this morning. Maybe you're thinking, praise God, they came. <laughs> and praise God they left, which is what my parents say. We love when you boys come, and we love when you boys leave, is what she says. So, We are in a series, this series right now is beginning, and it's on Advent. Now, we've had this series before, but we're going to approach this a tad bit different each particular year. Now, if you did not get one of these guides, it's very, very simple. It's out there. It just sort of explains each week, and then if you're not a part of the text group that's getting something each week, Make sure you get a part of that. Some very wonderful people, talented folks have been given devotions, and will come out to you at midweek. What we want to do in this particular season is to do the best we can to focus our thinking on the second coming. Now, I know how difficult that is, because right now, your thought probably is not what's going to happen when Jesus returns. Your thought probably is, did I get that gift yet? for whoever. Because most of us really enjoy giving gifts. We love seeing people's reactions, etc. The older they get, the less uh, dramatic those reactions are. But we, we enjoy giving. So I know that right now you're probably going through a list trying to figure out how it is that you can bless someone else. That's a good thing. Don't feel an ounce of guilt over that. You should never feel guilty over gifts being given at Christmas. What better holiday than Jesus giving himself to us, the world? What a great way to spend the holiday. However, For Sundays, I really believe God wants us to hone in, focus our thinking, and and what is Advent ultimately about? Now, today is going to set the stage for every other week, so hang in there. It's an abbreviated sermon because we've got the Lord's table, which uh, which is great. It speaks in and of itself. It doesn't really need a preacher. But what is hope? I know you just watched a video. I try to draw your attention to just that last little phrase. the thing he was honing in on there. But what ultimately is hope? Please hear me. Hope is not this intense anticipation. Hope is a choice. Hope is a choice to wait upon God to provide when God is going to provide. Let me say this again. Hope is a choice to wait on God. God is going to provide when God provides. So hope is this choice that we make to sit and to wait patiently to let God determine when it is that he is going to provide what it is that he has promised. Now, waiting elicits, does it not? Waiting elicits something inside of us. It elicits some type of emotion, elicits some type of reaction. It stirs something up in us. We can wait for a variety of things, and we can have a variety of responses in that waiting. But something is going to get elicited when we have to wait. Think about the kids in the youngest years knowing that they've woken up and it's Christmas morning. And mom and dad say, you can't go in just yet. You got to wait. Now, do you think those kids are excited? If they've experienced more than one or two Christmases, they're now catching on. Oh, this is a big deal. This time of year is great. I get to make a list. Some of those things on the list come true. They they get to tear into gifts. They get to watch others. They, They are waiting with great anticipation. It is eliciting this excitement inside of them that they can't quite get into the room just yet. How about waiting for a test score? You felt like you prepared pretty well, but the questions on the test were a little more difficult than you were expecting them to be. You think you did well enough, but you're not quite sure if you did well enough. What is that kind of waiting on those test results? What does that do in us? How about the bride who is waiting for her wedding day? The ring is on finger, the dress has been purchased. The invitations have been sent out, all of the details, with the exception of those pesky details that have to be done the day of. How about waiting for another type of test result? The man who's been married for years to his wife, waiting to see what those cancer results reveal. How about the mom who is waiting for her son to return home? He's been off serving our country faithfully. And waiting for him to come back home. How about the parent who's waiting for their child just to come home for, for the weekend in college? Been gone for three months, haven't seen him, talked to him on the phone, texted a little bit, but haven't really connected. There's all kinds of waiting that we do. And it elicits something inside of us. But let me tell you, every example that I just gave you, none of them had a guaranteed result. Hope. Hope is choosing to wait. It's a choice that we make in which we are waiting for God to do what he said he is going to do, but we're going to be patient enough that we'll back up and say, God, I don't have a timeline that I'm demanding this in. I'm going to choose to place my hope in you, and you will provide it whenever you provide it. It is a guarantee. Hear me. It is a guarantee because God promised it's going to happen. Waiting elicits. Hope does something else. Hope inspires us. If you have your Bibles, open with me to First Thessalonians chapter one, verses two to three. We won't stand on this one, we'll stand on the next one as we read as we get to it. But First Thessalonians chapter one, verses two and three, it says this: we give thanks to God always. For all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I like the way the NIV says it better than the ESV. ESV is a great translation. It's what we use here. I like the way the NIV says it best. It says your labor prompted, I'm sorry, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, And your endurance inspired by hope. Now let the words speak. Your endurance, your ability to stay at it, to wait, to keep going, to keep pushing forward, no matter what obstacle is in front of you, to hang in there, your endurance is inspired by what? By hope. You are able to wait because you know in the depths of your soul, you know God is going to do it. You just don't know when he is going to do it. Your labor, prompted by love. Your work is produced by faith, but your endurance is inspired by hope. One passage of Scripture for us to look at, if you would stand in honor of God's Word as we read together Uh, Sorry, I will read. Um, You'll just uh, read along uh, silently. But in Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that homeland from which they had gone out, they would have, had, would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And if you would skip down all the way to the last couple of verses in the chapter. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You may be seated. Now Hebrews chapter 11 is considered by many to be the hall of faith, in which the writer of Hebrews, we don't know exactly who this writer is, is walking through some examples in the Old Testament of those who lived by faith, meaning they chose to live not by what it is they could only see, but what it is that God had promised, and so they chose to live in light of that fact. Now, faith is action. Faith is moving forward. Faith is not just a blind belief that something might happen. Faith is is uh, is is this confident assurance, and it's moving forward. I mean, so it's telling us that these people were moving forward because of this great faith that they have been given. Now, it it then tells us here, the writer moves in verses 13 through 16, and he moves away from talking about specific individuals, and I think he's referring to the whole, and just look at some of the things that he lets us know about this particular group of people. He says in here that they had not received the things that were promised to them. They all died in faith, without receiving yet the things that were promised to them. What in the world does this mean? Dying in faith means that they spent every last moment up until the very end believing that God was going to do it. They died in faith, but it says that they did not receive yet what it is that God had promised to them. Is God a liar then? If God promises something and doesn't give it, does that mean he's a liar? Well, we got to understand the promises of God. I hope, I, I hope and pray you wrap your mind and heart around this one. Please hear me. The overwhelming majority of promises of God in the Scriptures will not be fulfilled in this lifetime. They will only be fulfilled in the life that is to come. The overwhelming majority of promises from God to us in the scriptures will not be fulfilled in this lifetime. They will only be fulfilled in the life that is to come. So how many of us have been disillusioned by promises of God that we have yet to have fulfilled? How many of us have unnecessarily either abandoned the faith or walked away from God or or projected something upon him that he's not caring or loving, et cetera, because he has not provided when he never intended for us to believe that he would provide it at this exact moment. Here's what he's saying here, this writer saying about these, uh, these folks that have gone before us. They knew that God had promised something to his people that they may never see the result of. But they chose to live their life walking in this direction because they knew God was going to do what God said he was going to do. They wanted to live a life that was going to outlive themselves, if you will, have a faith, act on it, construct their lives in such a manner that those who would come behind would be blessed and benefited greatly by their choices to walk forward. Mom, Dad, what kind of an example are you setting forth for your kids? Grandma, grandpa, how are you walking in such a manner towards the end of your life? How are you moving forward in faith? They did not receive what was promised to them. They believed in the future fulfillment rather than holding God to something that he never promised. Notice another thing in here that he says in there, that they are strangers and aliens and this is a interesting term that he chooses to use strangers and exiles rather than the esv it's uh, aliens then i'll strangers and exiles in here now what is he saying about these folks that were moving through he's saying that these folks in the past had walked and, and managed to live their life in such a manner as they were making their way through they never ever ever got comfortable believing that this was their ultimate home They never, ever got to the place where they felt like, ah, this is where I belong. They never got to the place where they could fully let their hair down and have all of their needs and desires and wants that were met. They never got to the place where they felt like they were fully and completely known. They always viewed themselves as those that were Journeymen, they were making their way through life, that they were having to spend a little bit of time here, a little bit of time here. Now, if you grew up in a military family, you understand this concept very well. You understand what it's like to move here and here and here and here, and you never really have a place that you're able to call home. If you grew up in a ministry family, you may have had a similar experience. You may have had similar experiences if you're in the world of athletics as you move from, from uh, various jobs. Or you may be one that has had one home. Judith's mother uh, was, uh, was raised, I think she said it was from age 14 on, in the home that she eventually bought from her mother when she got married. And she's been in that, in that same house for decades upon decades. Judith loves stability. It's a good thing. Stability is a great thing. It's a good thing to desire. Unfortunately, she married me. We have lived here and here and here and here, and she's saying, "Please, David, stop moving us from here. Can we just stay here for a while?" Yes, yeah, yeah. They are aliens, and they are exiles. They do not have a place that they're able to call home. How about you? Are you expecting Tallahassee to meet all of your needs? Are you expecting this to to be home in such a manner that you never again have this angst of, I just don't know that I belong? Are you expecting a particular church to be the place in which you will have all of your friendships met and you'll say, man, this, I, I no longer have any longing that's inside of me. It's all been met. That is not what the scriptures tell us it's going to be like. All of these heroes of the faith kept moving forward. They kept pressing on. They kept walking in obedience, not knowing necessarily what the future held, not knowing what God would do specifically in their lives, but they kept moving forward because they knew, I cannot expect this to be a home. I'm a journeyman. I'm a traveler. And at some level, you will always experience angst in your mind and heart. At some level, you will always experience angst in your heart. If you don't have any angst over this being your home, you've probably put too much hope in this place. David in Psalm 39 says this, Paul in Philippians 3, as well as Peter in 1 uh, 1 Peter 2, um, all of them refer to us as aliens and strangers. Just know this, you will likely wonder for the rest of your life, why doesn't this feel like home? Notice the third thing in this passage is that they desired a better country. Now, this word that he uses in this particular section It's a fantastic word. It is an intense longing, but it's also put in in a tense in which it's ongoing. I mean, it's it's everlasting. It's continuous. He had this continuous longing for something that was better than what we have right here. You may have, which is what aliens and strangers, which means you never can really call this place your home, but you may have this this desire and said, there's got to be more. There's got to be something that is better, something more deeply satisfying. Yes, that is from God. He is stirring up these desires in you to know there is something else that's coming in the future that is going to be even better than what you are experiencing right now. They longed for this country, this better country. It was somewhere out there. They weren't looking to go establish utopia. They weren't looking to go, Make a government or a city or a town or a church that would meet all of their needs. They knew that they were going somewhere, but ultimately it was only God that was going to bring to them this city, this builder, this architect. Only God could be, only He could make what it is that their souls were longing for. They desired a better country than what they were experiencing. Notice what it says. It doesn't say that they hate this place, it doesn't say they think this place is awful, that they don't like the people they're with. He's saying, They're longing for something that was more. You know, one of the things we talk about here uh, every Sunday that we're, we're, we're praying for, actively praying that would take place in these services, is that we would be moved. We would be moved by God in every sense of the word, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. We want to be moved that God would stir us. We want to be moved from something to something. We want to be moved from the dissolution of hope in self, that I can somehow make myself right with God or improve my standing with God, etc. We want to be moved away from that into the certainty of hope in Christ, that only Christ makes us right. He has made us right. But we also want to be moved from the delusion that this world has everything that my soul is going to long for to the certainty of the life that is to come. Now, let me just tease this out just a second. Do I spend money on my home as if I believe this home is going to provide everything that I'm longing for? Do I vacation as if this world has everything that my soul is longing for? How I spend my money, according to the Scriptures, is going to reveal a great deal about what I think about this world. Now, please hear me. If you have money, spend it. It's a good thing to enjoy this world. Vacation. Buy a new kitchen. And if you can get marble cabinets. Uh, cabinets. That would be odd. If you can get uh, <laughs> granite uh, uh, countertops. and if you, what, what, That's fine. Go for it. All that's good. But do you think that if you just had a new kitchen, then my soul would be at ease? Or do you think if we just spend enough money on marriage counseling, then my soul is going to be at ease? And if I just had enough money to get my kid through rehab, then my soul will finally be at ease. And if I just have enough money to put back in retirement, then I'm finally going to come to peace and be. The, this world is never going to produce what the world to come is going to give us. So we are freed up. We are freed up as people to ache. If you don't like your kitchen, it's okay. You have preferences and taste. If you despise, it's okay. Despise it. Embrace that that longing for more. Just don't expect that if it gets fulfilled. All of your longings are going to be satisfied. Spend money on counseling. Do as much as you can to invest in your marriage. Enjoy one another. Do the best that you can to build one another up. But don't think that a perfect marriage is going to satisfy the longings of your heart. If you can, dip into your retirement. Doing everything for your kid is worth it. Do everything you can to get them sober and thinking clearly. Absolutely, but don't think that a kid who walks with the Lord is going to satisfy every longing of your soul. You see what I'm saying? Be responsible in this. Do the, enjoy life. But what this writer is telling us here is that they did not expect this world because they're waiting and longing for a better country. It is an ongoing, intense longing. If your heart and mind right now aches for more, it's probably a good indication that God is stirring in your heart. If you are not satisfied right now, it's probably a good indication that the Lord is stirring something in you. Finally, he says in here that God has prepared something for them. They desired a better place. It's a better country. It was a heavenly one. And it says that God is not ashamed to be called their God. Because he has prepared for them a city. he, God is the one who has prepared for them what it is that's coming. They are making their way through life, seeing themselves as aliens and as strangers, seeing themselves as those who are on a journey, on a mission, trying to walk through life, trying to call people's attention upward towards someone who can actually do something with the ache that their soul is going through. They're going around ministering the gospel everywhere that they can, knowing that they, they may lay their head here tonight, but it may not be until uh, another night. It'll be over here, et cetera. That they're walking through life, not expecting this world to provide for them, but knowing that there is this life to come. Now, hear this. Look at what the potential is for us as people. If we live our lives expecting to be aliens and strangers, expecting to not have every longing fulfilled, expecting to live on mission, but also expecting that one day all of these longings will be fulfilled. How freed up are we in this world to do what God has called us to do? That's what he's saying here in Hebrews. See, what was the inspiration for them to, to be able to move forward? What was the, the steadfast? It was the hope that one day it's coming. And since I know it's coming, I can endure a whole lot right now. I can sacrifice a whole lot right now. I can give up a whole lot right now. I can lower my expectations of you right now. The proverbial you, not David talking to people right now. We as a people can lower expectations of others because you no longer have to satisfy every longing of my soul. Why? Because I know that day is coming. And since I know that day is coming, I don't have to force you to fulfill it. I don't have to demand that you make it. I am told that there was a football game that occurred over the weekend two weekends ago. And this football game occurred with the youngest of children, and each kid got to pick one player that they wanted to play on their team. And that one player, though, could only play in the last quarter. So the kids on the teams got together. This is a little flag football. This is not an organized sport. This is just kids in the neighborhood that picked this, and so. They get together and say, I want to get my dad to play. And so they talk about it because, yeah, yeah, your dad, your dad can throw. So they're so excited. They know that when time comes, their dad, this dude dad's going to be able to come out and play. The other ones say, I know who we want to get. We want to get my mom to play. And so these guys are sent off. Oh, fantastic. This is great. We got a dad that's going to play. You're going to take your mom to play football. This It's going to be fantastic. These guys are excited. However, what they didn't realize is that the mom over here is an Olympic sprinter. <laughs> dad is 40 years old, in his mid-40s, rather, and his pants are continuing to Shrink. And in the last quarter, all they had to do is to get the ball to mom. Mom just went out on a very simple screen. Kid throws the ball over to mom, and mom is gone. (laughs) Nobody is within 40 yards of her. Now, over here, this group is thinking, ah, this is going to be great. It's going to be great. How about the kids over here? Oh, we know what's coming. So when they were down in the first, second, and third quarter, do you think it really mattered? they knew who was coming. The people in the Old Testament knew that there was a Messiah that was coming one day. And they knew that Messiah would do everything that God had demanded and commanded. And they knew that Messiah was going to restore to them all of their dignity and their prominence throughout the world. Now, they had a little mixed up as to what he was going to do politically. But they knew that this person was coming that nobody could touch. Jesus came. He did everything that was required of God. He fulfilled all of the law. He went to a cross. He received the full wrath of God on behalf of all who would come to him by faith. Jesus Christ did everything that was necessary in both his obedience and also in receiving the wrath of God. So now I ask you, can you walk in this life knowing that Jesus is coming again? See, in the same way that the Old Testament saints had to look forward and wait and wait and wait and live life in light of the fact that this guy was coming eventually, can you and I now wait, 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 and live as if Jesus is coming again to do everything for us that our souls are longing for? Oh, my friends, I invite you, this Advent season, place your hope in Jesus. He will not disappoint.